0: Welcome to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, a show dedicated to risk management and professional solutions. Here's your host, Brian Dunphy. Welcome to the latest edition of the Alliance Specialty Podcast series. I am Brian Dunphy, the leader of Alliance Management Professional Solutions Group, and we happen to be in the middle of International Data Privacy Week. And so here with me to discuss all things cyber is our cyber claims attorney, David Finn. Hello, David. Hi, Brian. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us. And so, David, the last time we spoke, I think you told me to put all of my money in a Maxwell house can and bury it in the backyard, unplug all my computers and don't talk on the phone. And that was the only way to keep everything safe. Is that right or do I have that wrong? Oh, that that and hand deliver payments to all of your utility companies. And, right, yeah. right. I um, forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. You did tell me that as well. No, all kidding aside, like every year prior to last year was another tumultuous year in the world of cyber liability. A lot of movement in the market, and, and a lot of things happened that hadn't happened previously, and there was a lot of pressure put on the markets from a claims payment perspective. But today, specifically. I wanted to get your perspective on the ever-changing landscape in the regulatory world, both at the state and at the federal level. And so we've always operated under the presumption that the benchmark state law that had been passed to date was the CCPA in California, the California Consumer Protection Act. And I know that there's a lot of stuff changing around now as other states ramp up their own protections for their local citizenry. Can you walk us through some of what's happening in in that regard? Sure. So what we have seen play out in California is beginning to play out in some other states as well. That trend of state regulators now stepping in and protecting the rights of consumers, not just in terms of breach notification, but going beyond that to actually give them some rights over the control of their data. So you have Colorado, which enacted a privacy act, which will go into effect on July 1st of 23, and Virginia has a Consumer Data Protection Act, which will be going into effect on January 1st of 23. And each of these new laws will give consumers a right to access their data, the right to rectify any incorrect information, the right to have their information deleted from a company's database, and also the right to opt out of having their information collected at all. What these laws do not do is they do not create a private right of action. So any enforcement is going to need to be initiated by regulators rather than by the consumers themselves. So in effect, David, effectively what that means is that the consumers themselves can raise the issue, but they do not have a path through civil courts to seek remediation. It has to be brought by a regulatory body, correct? That is correct. They don't have what lawyers call standing to sue. Right. Great. And so in addition to what's happening there, I I do believe, as we've mentioned, there there are other states that have their own additions and changes to privacy laws that are due to come up this coming year. Right. So in addition to Colorado and Virginia, which have actually enacted this legislation, right, there are bills that are being considered right now in a number of other states, including Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, and Pennsylvania that are each their own iteration of the types of protections we now see in California and these two other states that have actually passed bills. And as it stands now, we still have this sort of operating premise that's most like a patchwork quilt of 50 states and 50 different rules, although they seem to be homogenizing in some respects. But talk for a minute, if you can, about the Changing attitude at some of the federal regulators and, and and how they're looking to enhance protections for the citizens. Sure. So the federal role in regulating cyber risk has been really industry specific, right? So for example, in the healthcare field, you have HIPAA, right? What we're beginning to see is that the Federal Trade Commission is stepping up in a number of ways to assert themselves as an enforcement body in the area of cyber. One thing that they will be doing this year is starting in December of 2022, the FTC will be requiring specific security controls and greater accountability from what are known as private funds. Now, these are financial institutions that are not otherwise covered by the Investment Company Act of 1940, so they don't fall under the authority of the SEC. Instead, here, what the Federal Trade Commission is going to do is essentially take the enhanced cybersecurity measures that were rolled out by the New York State Department of Financial Services, and then bring those into enforcement at the federal level, even for financial institutions that are outside of New York State's jurisdiction. And so what they're doing is they're they're accomplishing this through updates to the safeguards rule under Graham Leach-Bliley around information security. So what you're gonna see is the scope of institutions that will fall under the FTC's authority on this is quite broad. It includes mortgage brokers, investment advisors, private lenders, and many asset managers. And even beyond that, right, so outside of the realm of financial services, the FTC has really broad latitude in terms of where they can can dive in and, and assert their authority. And I think that has potential ramifications Coming through potentially if the current administration is, is successful in in passing some of their legislative agenda as as laws come up, it seems like every single one of them now has some aspect related to privacy. One of the areas that we're watching very closely is with respect to the Build Back Better legislation. And if Congress ends up passing that, the current version would give the FTC the authority to file complaints in federal district court. And to seek penalties of up to $43,000 per violation under the aegis of unfair or deceptive acts or practices. And what they're doing is they're taking areas where they already have jurisdiction, such as the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, and saying that perhaps a single statement on a company's website, which is found to violate that law or any other law that falls under the FTC's jurisdiction around data privacy could result in liability for that company with respect to each and every consumer who relied on it. Now, to be fair, the courts do have the authority to reduce those damage awards because they could actually be quite burdensome on businesses. But the prospect of a nuclear verdict is always out there. And that could drive some companies to settle with the government, even though they might have strong defenses that no violation has actually occurred. The FTC's authority, if we are to look at, for example, what they exercise over the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, is quite broad to go after these companies on a per-violation basis. And if we see that play out in the uh, data privacy arena, it can actually be a quite an enormous exposure for businesses. Yeah. And just as, as we layer one step up now, more and more companies in the United States continue to and expand their interaction in a global market. How does what we have here as far as uh, regulatory compliance efforts, how how do they stack up presently as as against what we know in in Europe's GDPR and and any other enforcement acts that that are enforced globally? So, I mean, the GDPR is probably one of the most stringent regulatory regimes on the face of the earth when it comes to data privacy and many U.S. businesses are subject to GDPR in as much as they conduct business with European consumers. Uh, In fact, the California legislation, in in many ways, was thought of as mirroring many of the safeguards of GDPR. What we're seeing here that is, I think, qualitatively different is regulators now coming in and imposing some uh, liability on companies for failures of security, in other words, not just the fact that data might have been breached, but because they don't have the proper controls in place or the proper governance procedures. So we're going to begin to see this now, especially in the FI arena, right Going back to what the FTC is going to be able to do under the safeguards rule later this year, some of the controls that they are looking for out of financial institutions include, you know these are the basic blocking and tackling. Of cybersecurity, multi-factor authentication, encryption of consumer data, and compliance around procedures for retention of consumer records. So you could have a situation where an enforcement action is brought, even though a breach might not have occurred, but if regulators believe that a business is not complying with these security controls, they could be cited for that. Yeah, you can see that could have a massive trickle-down effect in the financial services space in terms of the way that funds interact with direct consumers or or act through other intermediaries and how that could have widespread implications to to a number of of different organizations. Yeah, I mean there's also new governance requirements that are going into effect for these entities involving risk assessment, employee training, vendor management. I mean, these are things that we have been speaking about with our clients over the past uh, couple of years in terms of good things to have, good controls to have in place to present yourself as a more attractive risk to the underwriters. Now they're gonna have the added incentive of having regulatory oversight in these areas. So now again, the carrot of presenting yourself as a good risk when we go to market to try to get cyber coverage in place for a company is now being matched with the stick, if you will, the FTC's enforcement authority. Yeah. The the added burden of compliance should only prove to be at least a good self-checkup as far as risk awareness and security posture. Yeah. And I I think this is why what we're seeing now is being reported. There's a report that actually came out from the International Association of Privacy Professionals in cooperation with Ernst & Young that says that the spend for the corporate budget for privacy is on the rise. The average privacy budget now for a company in the United States is $873,000. And that 45% of the businesses surveyed are hiring new privacy professionals over the next six months. And I think this is all a reflection of the increased oversight they're seeing in the regulatory space, the fact that their stakeholders are demanding that they have greater security measures in place, and frankly, that their underwriters are requiring it as a, uh, a precondition to coverage. Yeah, the past year in the, in the market for our clients and and brokers is certainly challenging in that regard that a lot of the hurdles that needed to be cleared before coverage could be obtained, certainly those hurdles got higher and more hurdles were placed in front of clients and brokers alike, making it an incredibly challenging time. And and there certainly doesn't appear to be any let-up coming soon in 2022. There's not. And I think companies are going to need to stay vigilant in this space. I mean, we're getting out in front of it in terms of speaking with our clients, 90, 120, and sometimes even 150, 180 days prior to renewal to set expectations in terms of what moves the needle for the underwriters, what kind of security controls our clients need to have in place, what type of privacy procedures so that they are prepared when we go to market to be able to present themselves as attractive risk because things that you know in the past were nice to have have now become must-have for purposes of getting favorable terms and conditions from the underwriters. That's absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place to leave it off today, David. Thank you so much for your time. Why don't you tell everyone where they can follow you on LinkedIn with some of the new stuff you're up to? Right. So I have started doing a weekly vlog known as the Cyber Insurance Imperative. Content is coming out every Monday. And you can follow me on LinkedIn there. And if you'd like to stay up to date with any content that we're putting out, you can DM me or send me an email at david.fins that's david.finz at com and we'll be sure to add you to our mailing list. Awesome. That's all great. Thanks, David, again for your time. This has been Brian Dunphy with Alliant Specialty. And to discover the more rewarding way to manage risk, you can find David, me, or any of your other Alliance colleagues online. Thanks so much for tuning in.